Welcome to A Magical World with me, Sterling Moon. I'm a diviner, a medium, a folk magician, an author, and an educator on the mystical and strange with a background in advocacy and activism. Join me as I highlight inspiring people who are making this world a more magical place to be. I'm so glad you're here. And if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the podcast through my Patreon, The Curiosity Coven. You can find out more at patreon.com backslash Sterling Moon. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friends. I am recording this on a snowy, frigidly cold day in late November of 2023. And I was thinking a lot about what I, you know, it's always sometimes hard to like know what I want to say other than the, you know, I mean, obviously there's kind of like the promotion and the, Hey, this is what I've, I've got going on, but you know, there's always I always try to think of something, you know, something that might be helpful or something maybe that I've gotten to think about with whatever interview I'm going to, I'm, I'm about to share with you all. And, you know, I'm today's interview is, is fantastic. It is with my friend, Connor Marvin, who, as you are going to um, hear in our conversation, you know, Connor and I, we knew each other for, we've known each other for years, but most of the time when, when, when we would connect, it was these little like five minute snippets um, while I was, you know, seeing clients at Ritual Craft and they were working up at the front as a, as a house witch or, you know, maybe getting ready to teach a class or something like that. And so this was a real special treat to be able to like sit down and have a, you know, just a proper conversation with them. I think you're really going to love this episode. And as I was, you know, listening, listening back to it and, you know, which I recorded this a few weeks ago and then kind of listening to it in the context of, you know, what's going on right now, it just seems like such a fitting moment to be sharing a, a conversation that's really all about love and keeping our hearts soft. And just the way that that can, you know, we, when we are able to do that, you know, I feel like we live in this culture that often really minimizes people who keep a sense of wonder, who are kind, who genuinely believe in the goodness of other people. And, you know, we, we do, we live in a really cynical world and there's a lot to be cynical about. I mean, every, I, I consume a lot of news and when I encounter things that I don't know a lot about, you know, right now, particularly life on the internet, there's a lot of people who are suddenly, you know, like scholars of, um, <laughs> you know, m Middle Eastern politics and things like that. But, you know, the, and there's so many horrible, awful things that are going on in the world. I mean, hopefully everyone is staying, you know, staying up to speed with what is going on in Gaza and also things that are happening in Sudan. But, you know, and here in the United States, it's not like we are freaking perfect. It's like a daily shitstorm over here too. And there's just, it's so important to know how to, you know, be involved, stay. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, when you're learning about how to treat a wound, that's bleeding. It's like that consistent applied pressure. And I feel like that is what these times are requiring of, of us is consistent applied pressure. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we also give ourselves what we need in order to stay soft and to stay kind. Because I, I did a bit of an impromptu um, rant and it's like, so I'm going to link it in the show notes because I don't feel like I never like to 
you know, kind of repackage things that I've already said in other places. Uh, but I am going to link this in the show notes. Yeah, I did a little bit of a um, little bit of a rant for, you know, my community on Instagram with all the debacle that I've had with that platform. You know, the reality is, is I still really love my community there. And one of the things that I love about that community is how civically minded all the people that I am a lot of the people I'm com- connected with are people who genuinely want to make the world better and who do the work. But one of the things that I started to get a little alarmed by was the level of burnout. And sometimes when we get burnout, burned out, we also start kind of getting mean. We want to see, you know, we want to see change. We're getting frustrated. And so sometimes what we'll do is maybe we'll lash out uh, at people that we perceive as not doing enough or not being vocal enough. And as I have shared here many, many times, you know, I spent a long time both as a direct um, advocate for survivors of crime, but then also those big picture things, doing public policy work, doing systems change work. And yes, I did eventually say I'm done. Um, A lot of that was due to just doing that work in a nonprofit setting, which Connor and I are going to talk about a little bit as well. But, you know, one of the so anyway if you're if you are somebody who's maybe experiencing some compassion fatigue some burnout of knowing that there are so many awful things that are happening in the world and not knowing how to be effective i i gave some you know take them or leave them i gave some tips just based on my experience in you know doing advocacy in a political setting and doing advocacy you know kind of one on one with with folks and so if that's something that you want to hear more about go ahead and go to the show notes but in the meantime for this episode i just want to preface this by saying this episode is very much dedicated to the importance of love and being soft and being kind and remembering that if that is something that you crave and that you need and you feel guilty about carving out time for you to tend to your own softness, please remember that that is, it's actually incredibly important because if you don't do that, you won't have anything left to give to the larger, the larger picture. You won't have anything left to give to your loved ones, your family, the people that you care about. You won't have enough to give to your direct community, which really that's where like the biggest impacts can always be made. So again, dedicate this, this episode is dedicated to love and softness. And I hope that you have ever so much of that in your life in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. So just the usual plugs that are always, because I'm always freaking busy, y'all. Um, one of the things that I want to make sure that folks know about is my program building blocks. I feel like I keep forgetting to bring this up. Part of it is because I trust that the people that um, are the right fit for the program will find their find their way to it. Um, building building blocks is the program that I started through my school, Sterling Moon Divination Academy, about a. I don't know. I think I started last year. Last year was the first round where I realized that, you know, I have programs for kind of more, um, for practitioners who are a little bit more willing to like, you know, dive into the deep end of the pool. So that's Prophecy Posse, which is a three-month commitment, Modern Mediums, which is a shorter commitment, but a really kind of intense topic beyond the veil. You know, you have to go through Modern Mediums to to do that. And uh, and it's like, you know, in person and it's about as intense as it gets. But uh, Building Blocks is for those folks who are like, I'm just starting out in my spiritual path and I don't really know where to get started. And 
so this is a program that it's three classes, three two-hour classes in three weeks. The early bird rate is $333. It's capped at 22 students. And we go through, you know, for me, I am a big believer that your spiritual journey is going to be a lot easier if you have a good sense of like where your inherent internal gifts are your strengths that you can build upon. And so that's really what class one is dedicated to is really kind of touching base with that psychic development, kind of figuring out maybe where, where, what are your strong points and how can you lean into those and ways that you can lean into those as you are developing your, your spiritual path and your spiritual journey. The second class is more focused on, you know, reaching out to things outside of yourself. So we talk about, we're going to talk about deity work, um, highest spiritual guides, collective consciousness, ancestor veneration. And then we'll do some um, meditation journeying work. This is going to be, this is a program that's very well suited for people that are pretty good with visualization. I do a lot of visualization-based meditations in my personal practice. And so that's very much how I teach. If you are somebody who struggles with meditation, I would say don't write it off because to be perfectly honest, unless you are somebody who has, um, oh, I think it's called, I can't remember. There's like a very specific term for people who have no like inner voice, who have like, you know, when they, there is no, um, they don't dream, uh, they don't see visuals. And so- there is like a very small part of the population that has that. So if you have that, reach out to me if you're interested in building blocks, because there might be some adaptations. But for the most of us, um, problems with meditation is usually just a matter, matters that can be resolved with discipline and practice. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> practice, unfortunately, is, you know, usually what's required with most things. But um, so we'll do some very like, you know, hands-on practice in class, uh, talking about like, you know, basically working on who can you access that's outside of yourself. And then class three is very much dedicated to how can you maybe create like a one month plan for, or, or longer for your spiritual practice? Where do you go from here? Where is it that you are being called to continue studying and continue learning? I taught this program for the first time last year. And of course there's people who, you know, they choose to continue to study with me. And that's awesome. If you are someone who's interested in some of my bigger, you know, my longer term, more intense programs, this is a great way to kind of like test drive my teaching style. But I also saw people that they ended up, you know, kind of clicking into what was a good fit for them and then finding other mentors and teachers and really, you know, cause that's the whole goal is giving you a little bit of a jump start to figure out like wh what is going to feel most authentic and good to you. I will also say if you end up going through this program, you become, you are automatically alumni of my school, which I'm starting to do a lot more stuff just for my alumni. I host a donation-based monthly meditation gathering. Um, every few months I do like these free experimentation clubs where we just get together and we practice something that we're all interested in. I am starting to do um, more classes and programs that are just very specific to my alumni group that are not going to be publicly available. And then I try a couple times a year to have guest workshops, um, excuse me, uh, workshops with guest instructors. So anyway, building blocks might be a fit for some of y'all. And so it's only open to the wait list right now, but I am, I decided for you all to link an email that's in the show notes that will take you to all the information, including the course outline and the application. So you all have kind of like 
if you're if you're here with me and listening, you all get that waitlist access. So I hope to see some of you in class. And then the last little update is um, I am still, I just opened my online holiday bazaar and um, it is definitely, <laughs> I, I'm really proud of everything that I put into this shop. So um, it opened on Monday, uh, November 20th, and it will close on December 14th. And right now I'm running a little flash sale. If you happen to listen to this in real time, if you use the code ENJOY, all caps, that will take 20% off everything that's in the shop, but only until uh, November 25th, 2023 at uh, like 11.59 PM mountain time. So go have some fun going shopping and keep an eye, keep an eye out because I have a whole bunch of my mother's cryptozoology and ET based uh, Christmas ornaments that she makes with her artwork. And I have a whole bunch of chupacabra stuffed animals, which she and my step dad designed like 10 years ago. And so I have chupacabra stuffed animals that are going to hit the shop and really cute ornaments that are coming on November 27th. And it's uh, free domestic shipping. So that's over 20 bucks. So hopefully that's helpful. All right, my friends. Oh, and one last thing that I always, always, always forget to tell y'all. You know, if you are somebody who follows me as well on social media, particularly, you know, my frenemy Instagram, <laughs> I will always use, I get told you use really cool music when you promote your, promote your podcast. And the reason that that music is so cool is because I get those songs directly from my guests. And so since the, the podcast began, right, I take that back. I think I started this a few months after I started the podcast. I ask every one of my guests to give me two songs that they feel either captures their essence or the spirit of our conversation or what they hope people will take away from this. And I weave it all together in a cute little playlist, a Spotify playlist. And so it's just a little bit of folk magic that, you know, music is magical. Music can be a conduit for spirit. And so I use that both in the social media promotion, but I've also been compiling this very eclectic little playlist that is created by all of the guests of this show. It will continue to evolve. And so I always forget to mention it. It is linked in the show notes as well. All right. That is enough of me yammering on, but I appreciate you so much for being here. We're closing in on, it's been 11 months since I started this podcast, and I am so grateful to all of you for listening and for just showing up and, and being here. And again, many, many wishes for softness, many blessings for all that you receive all the love that you need. So then you are able to give love to your, those you love and your community. And I am just sending you the very best. And I hope you just absolutely adore this conversation with the wonderful Connor Marvin. Well, how's it going, Car Connor? I was, I just, I just created a Carvin. I just like blended yeah, your Carvin. name there for a second. How's it going, Carvin? Connor Marvin. It's nice to see you. It's good to see you. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've missed you. Um, yeah, it's great. You I'm are very good. You are very missed around ritual craft, by the way. Oh. Every time that I'm in, which to be honest, in the past month, like October, I feel felt like I was barely there. But yeah, I think there was at least one of us every single time that I was there that was just like, I wonder how Connor's doing. We miss Connor. So big. Oh. 
big hole left in the shop. But well, anyway, so obviously those folks who are listening, clearly I am sitting here with Connor Marvin, Carvin. <laughs> we have the mutual thread of knowing each other through ritual craft. And I was just telling Connor before we got started that it's funny because we've known each other for years. And also I feel like I don't, we don't really know each other because we really only would see each other at ritual craft. And the funny thing about being in an environment like that is I feel like you often will have these like really intense experiences and conversations. And because we see a side of our communities and a side of one another that most people that know us you know, just out and kind of like normal everyday life don't get to see. And then, but there's a lot of like missing gaps. So uh, I was, so I usually start off these interviews with kind of a, this is what I do know about the person. And this was kind of fun because I realized how many holes there are. And also Mm -hmm. like some of the weird pockets where I feel like we have some commonality. Like I seem to remember that one of the first things we kind of clicked over was... (laughs) the disillusionment with maybe the ways that large nonprofit structures are kind of failing on the big social issues that often they are supposed to be helping. Folks who are listening know that I worked in um, the victim advocacy nonprofit world for 20 years. And Connor, you worked with, um, you worked with folks who were going through homelessness, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, I worked with um, young people experiencing homelessness in Denver for three years um, and had a, and it's, I don't know if you have this experience, but for me working in that field and with that population, like when I tell people that they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. That must have been so rewarding. And I'm like, I don't know, like it, it was at times, Mm -hmm. but, but also at other times incredibly demoralizing um <laughs> and and so i think you know and of course anything like that is is worthwhile work but i think we're on the same page about like uh the ways in which organizations throw money at certain things in certain ways and not other things in other ways um isn't necessarily working to solve root issues yeah, I was because this is a audio medium. Not, none of you could see the very classy way that I was making gagging motions in agreement with everything that Connor was just saying. Yeah, it is. I feel like when I first started getting into um, fixed advocacy, I mean, this was like in. I think I started volunteering for my local DV, a domestic violence and sexual assault like survivor advocacy program in 2000. And I had been a client there as well prior to that. And so it was a real like kind of full circle way of of being involved in my community. And, um, I was, we were, I was a gender studies, women's studies minor. And so I had been taking this class of, uh, it was interesting. It was all about kind of war and the crimes against particularly women and children that get used in times of war. And it was in uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina. And that one like got me on a real soul level, which later, decades later, I find out I have a lot of like Balkan heritage on my father's side. So definitely some like cellular level, rec- you know, kind of recognition there. But I remember talking with um, my professor at the time, and she had said, you're not going to be able to do anything for like the women in Bosnia, but you can do things in your your local community. And so I feel like my 
journey of doing advocacy work was real grassroots and really like from the heart. And I'm so grateful for all of that. But I feel like over time, particularly as like the feds have gotten involved and like the amount of federal money that comes in, especially into places like Denver, um, not much. Yeah. Federal money. A lot of, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As in homeless services, it's like you have shareholders that have never experienced homelessness or very, very removed from even ever having known someone who's experienced homelessness. Mm -hmm. And they're making decisions about, okay, we're funding it. So we want, they can just like decide like, oh, we want like rehabs on a farm. And then the organization just has to scramble. Okay, only farm-based rehab methods are allowed. Like, you know, yeah, very. It's not organic anyway. So, see, these are the types of conversations that you have in like these like little pockets when you get to know Mm -hmm. somebody. Someone at a place like Ritual Craft. But so I know we had that overlap. You know, I know that you are. I mean, you're just, you're very nice and very knowledgeable and kind of watching from afar because, you know, my office is um, kind of tucked away in the corner of virtual craft and I see clients that, you know, book ahead with me. And so oftentimes I go into my office and I'm kind of holed up there um, with the exception of like little tiny breaks throughout the day. But then you all who do the work of like the house witches, um, you had put up a post on Instagram towards the end of your tenure there where you refer to it as like a spiritual emergency room. And that was, mm-hmm. that got me because I remember having a conversation with our friend Loretta Ledesma. She came on the show and I think she was my very, she was my very first guest back in December of last year. But I remember years ago, she had said that, you know, when the doctors fail you and the lawyers fail you when everyone else has failed you, that's when you go to see the witch. And so Mm. that is really the work that you all were doing and kind of observing your style. You always struck me as a bit of like a ceremonial. I mean, I know that you are a Sufi uh, meditation instructor, that that's a huge Mm. part of your, your tradition. And you always struck me as a bit of like a ceremonial slash folk magician hybrid the way that you were able to blend those two in your own way but I'm curious because you are so many other things you were a poet you're you're sober which I know that has been that's a commonality that we also share and that's a huge part of your journey with your magic and your poetry and all of that but where do you want to begin? And if you are introducing yourself to somebody who doesn't know you very well, you're introducing yourself to me because we're meeting in a very mm-hmm. different way. What would yeah. you, how would you describe yourself? Who are you? I mean, the first, the most important thing is lover. I'm a lover. Yeah. Um, And so I think that, you know, there are these these specific wisdom streams and these um kind of like like i don't know positions or or vocations Mm -hmm. um but the main thing that i try to be is is a is a lover in the sense of in in a larger sense than just you know obviously like romantic partnership but just like um my orientation is really towards love, harmony, and beauty. And I tr- I try and remember that. I try and stay in remembrance of that. And so that's really central in all of the stuff that I do. 
um, as far as poetry, as far as magic, as far as all of these things go. Um, and because I think that that's in some ways, that's the hardest thing to do, uh, in terms of just like looking at, you know, looking at the grim realities, sort of like, uh, you know, the, the world that we inherited or, or incarnated into, um, of looking for the love, harmony, and beauty. Um, this is not how I'd introduce myself to a stranger. This is like, uh, but, but this is maybe a more poetic and accurate introduction. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned sobriety, also like mental health recovery um, is a is a huge part of my story and a, and a really driving narrative for me was loneliness and psychological dis disintegration. And those, because those are kind of like the driving conflict of the narrative of my life, like a big thing was like, I was very, very dissociated. And so if you look at what I do now of mm -hmm. the poetry and the Sufism and the meditate, all of this stuff, I'm trying, it was all came out of this recognition that like this barrier between me and my experience mm -hmm. and between me and, and the, the rest of the world, that that was, I identified that, I hope accurately, as like the big obstacle. And so all of this stuff is trying to remove that veil, trying to remove that that obstacle and to enter into more direct and intimate experience of reality and myself. You know, being soft and being willing to be connected to others, that is like brave fucking work <laughs> in the current in the current state of the world right now. I love that. And although, and I highly recommend, um, I fully support if you want to start like introducing yourself to strangers as <laughs> I, I think that that is a really solid conversation starter. So, yeah. um, I, I love that. I mean, do you still, do you find, I mean, how long do you feel like you've been, do you feel like you got it? Or are there a lot of days that you have to like fight having that wall come back up? So this is the way that I put it. So in, and we can, I think we'll get into Sufism later, but um, my teachers, 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 teacher, I forgot. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, but he has this great quote and we have puritanical baggage around the word sin, but it, it just, uh, it means to miss the mark in archery. There's no big moral trip. Um, ah. And so same with in, in Victorian English and Hebrew, and I believe in Arabic, that word means, that's what it means. But he says, the only sin is to draw a single breath in forgetfulness of God. Mm. And the only virtue is to draw every breath in remembrance of God. And, and so to the Sufi, God is an experience, not a belief. And so really has more to do with open-heartedness and love and things like that um and so as i progress on the path my estimation of 
how well I'm doing with that task of drawing every breath in remembrance of God, because my bar for remembrance raises Mm -hmm. my estimation of like, I'm probably 5%, 5% of the breaths on any given day. And if you had asked me three years ago, I would have say like, oh, probably 20%, but it's because (laughs) it's, and so I'm not getting worse. It's that the the bar for what I, my sense of like my ideal of the um, open-hearted presence that I would like to have has been raised. Which is super, super rad. I love that. So this is like 20, you know, November, 2023, Connor. And we're going to, we're going to kind of take the time machine back a little bit, because I don't know if this has been your experience, but I feel like for, and not for all folks who've kind of had to go through the hell of like clawing your way back from like mental health crises and addictions and all that stuff. But sometimes I feel like for a lot of us, there is this, um, it's almost like a reverse journey back to like innocence and wonder that sometimes happens Mm -hmm. because when you're in the throes of like the thick of it, everything, it's easy to get, you know, you're cynical. You're there's it's, you know, and I'm curious, like, was your interest in like magic and the divine and all of that, was that something that you had from the time that you were teeny tiny? Is that something that had to like come later once you you had been through the thick of it like let's go backwards and go because I mean you are you've yeah you've studied I mean in addition to kind of you're just like you're this is the way that you live your life you've Mm -hmm. also done a lot of studying I mean and this is not just something that you've kind of like you do you do it from the heart but you also do it from the mind and like you know in a scholarly way how did all that happen take us on the journey of how you came to the spot that you're at now. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like this story because it is, uh, so when I was, uh, I, I like it because it's kind of a, a somewhat universal story. So I think that um, I don't really remember being a baby, but uh, as soon as I remember, like I had, I had this very direct and animistic connection with the natural world around me. And I think that that's a common experience. Um, I I had this like little plastic red toy shopping cart that was basically a bucket on wheels Mm -hmm. and I would fill it with the garden hose. I'm like three years old or something. I would fill it with the garden hose And then I would be out in the yard making potions and I would like, (laughs) and I don't know where I'm getting these impressions of what a potion is and what, you know, doing, putting things in the cauldron and, and I would be grabbing plants and dirt and things and throwing it all together. And my mom would always like come out and be like, okay, you know, not to eat or drink that. Just don't don't put it in your mouth. (laughs) I'm not going to eat or drink it. What do you like? What do you think? I'm stupid. Um, and the you know and and later on like building tiny little fairy homes at the bases of trees that have like rocks and twigs and and things like this and having 
having a very direct and intimate connection, particularly with the the natural world. And I, and I do think based in in an animistic understanding of everything, of nothing being inanimate, um, you could say. Yeah. And then, you know, mistakes were made, I think, culturally a long time ago. And like most people, all of that was sort of trained or or criticized or or beaten out of me. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up um, a angry atheist because the the options that I saw were this sort of metastasized um, conservative Christianity that was this sort of like mega church of hate that was just like a list of things that, you know, a list of bigotries, basically. Um, and I saw that I, I think accurately as a as a regressive and and problematic like you know social and political institution. And so it was like that or atheism. Nothing's real. Magic isn't real. God's not real. Um, spirit's not real. And and so that was my. And I, but I was also very creative the whole time. I was drawing a lot. Um, and and I was in really loved acting. I actually went to school when I was 18 for acting. Um, but so that was the case through through some of middle school and into high school. and then and of and then I overdosed. Um, ended up in a psych ward, ended up getting shift off to inpatient lockdown rehab, then a halfway house at 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So my entire kind of life trajectory disrupted very intensely. Um, and in this halfway house, it was, you know, there were like, it, it wasn't 12 step based, but there was still like, you got to find a higher power. And I was like, well, I don't believe in that. And then uh, the, but they were like, but it can be anything, you know? And I'm like, and then there happened to be, there was like no books. I don't know why there were no books in this halfway house mm. with all these like teenage boys. There was barely any books, but there was for some reason, a probably college, uh, anthropology textbook. Huh. And I opened it up to a random page. And on that random page was the description of animism. And then all of those experiences of childhood came rushing back. And I was like, oh, duh, obviously. Yeah, everything has a spirit. That is the primordial religion of humanity is just a direct engagement with, with things as alive instead of objects. I love that um, that was also agree wholeheartedly. And I love that that was like the ultimate like guide nudge of like, hey, mm -hmm book falls off little bibliomancy in the, yeah. in the halfway house but anyway sorry to interrupt no you're good and then and so after that i started doing what i called meditating i had no real frame of reference for even what meditation was but i would just like listen to tool and or Sigur rose and uh lie in my bed and close my eyes and and i would have intense visionary experiences um and 
a frequently occurring one was uh, a man with the head of a stag or with antlers or just a stag. And I didn't have any frame of reference for that. And then somehow someone gave me a book on the Druids, like I'm, my ancestry is Irish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is like a known thing like that is coming to me. Um, like this is Kernanos or, you know, any one of these antlered or horned deities. And I, and then, and so then I became an angry pagan. <laughs> and so I went from being an angry atheist to an angry <laughs> pagan. I had a big festering resentment against, you know, organized religion, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And against monotheism specifically and Abrahamic monotheism more specifically and Christianity more specifically. And, and that, um, that, that continued. And I kind of had more of a magical identity than practice for a long time. And then one uh, fateful May 1st, for whatever reason, I was like, I want to know what I'm doing. Like, I want to actually know what I'm doing. I want that, like, you know, I, I, yes, this stuff is intuitive, but I would like to have some sense of, like, yeah, this is agreed upon. That this is kind of the way this works, and people have done this before. Um, I'm not having to reinvent the wheel. And so I walked from my Capitol Hill apartment. It was a beautiful Saturday, I believe, in Denver, all the way to Herbs and Arts, and it was like a 45 minute walk. I, it was an intentional pilgrimage. And I spent what was a lot of money for me at the time, which was probably only like $100. But um, but I, I hadn't spent that much money in one place in a, in a long time. Yeah. And and I bought like some books and an athame and cauldron and, and chalice and whatever. And it was... It was really then, it was once I made the commitment. It was once I was like, I moved from just an identity as like, oh, I'm an edgy pagan and I, you know, I have this magical identity, mm -hmm. but I didn't really practice. I didn't really do much with it. I just, yeah. uh, and once I moved more into practice and study that, that, that was kind of when the big shift came. That's so cool. Yeah, that is, oh, man. I feel everybody who's listening, who was once a pissed off pagan, an angry pagan, go ahead and raise your hand right now. <laughs> my, my hand is raised. I, I love that. So you start practicing. We have this, this day at herbs and arts, you, you bring it, bring it all home. You're starting with your book learning and then how do you go from that to, I was reading, you know, just, I did a little bit of light Googling and, and also too, I have your, your book, which we're going to talk about at some point here, because it's really freaking good. How did you go from that to becoming a grail scholar? So I, being an angry Celtic pagan is hard because there's, not a lot of stuff out there yeah. as far as how to practice and and i hit a wall pretty quickly as far as like there's the agam or ocham like alphabet mm 
-hmm. that can be used similarly to how runes are used of like both divination and magic and then those correspond to different trees and then you have the eight eightfold you know wheel of the year Mm -hmm. and different ways of celebrating that neither of those have a ton of historical documentation so there was that issue that I had and then the other one was I was like that's it Mm -hmm. like this is not this doesn't feel complete and so what I was doing is I was digging through the Celtic myths and trying to do maybe more reconstruction of like what were people actually doing Mm-hmm. not not what if what did someone you know make up 10 years ago but what were the ancient you know celtic druids and other practitioners actually doing and i the i encountered the mabinogi uh which is the main welsh kind of like mythology book and the in there there's all this king arthur stuff uh-huh and i was like this feels like there's remnants of an intact tradition and this was written down in the 1300s and so yeah. i was like really interested in like pulling at these threads and trying to piece something together but still at that time i was an angry pagan so i was like i've got to basically remove the evil bad christianity from it uh-huh. and so that it's you know and and i'm like so that it's pure yeah and i and i have and i'm using these words and i have issues with this type of language right uh but i i that was my intention and then i started reading into the grail stuff um and realized that not only is that not possible you can't just like take all of the elements of a tradition in the way that it survived out of it that you don't like and expect something functional to exist still. But also it wouldn't even be interesting. Like it it wouldn't be preferable. Like there's, there's Christian stuff that exists outside of the legitimately awful and oppressive historical actions of the church establishment. But there's Christian stuff that, that is really powerful and beautiful and so that wall that i had built up um started to kind of crumble and i started to have um you know experiences of kind of reclaiming the word god and you know i used to just cringe and be like oh my god do you know how stupid you sound right now god and faith and prayer same Um, and and i started to kind of like come into a bit of a different relationship with with monotheism um and then that's when i encountered sufism and i was still at the time of taking initiation into sufism i was still like not comfortable saying the word god in a singular um because mm-hmm. i'd been in you know uh, without being too specific but i've been in 12-step meetings doing all the prayers with god's gods plural Plural. Mm -hmm. and was very proud and adamant about that um yeah 
I don't know if that, I, I don't even remember the question you asked. Oh, that's okay. I think we started with the grail and we're just rolling with it. I've kind of had this analogy the other day with, uh, I think one of the reasons I love doing this podcast, well, one, it gives me an opportunity to like sit down with people that I think are cool and we get to like have a, have a conversation. But I was trying to think there was something kind of scratching at my brain of like these types of conversation remind me of something from my past. And it finally hit me that I was like a total coffee shop kid. You know, I would spend hours upon hours with my friends sitting and having what felt like, I mean, they were probably pretty trite in retrospect, but like having big conversations and meeting new people and having big conversations. And so I always feel like this is like an abbreviated version of like Mm -hmm. an intense coffee shop conversation. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense. So we're just, we just go with it. But, um, gosh, there's so many, so many things. Well, and I, same on the like discomfort with talking about God in the, in the the singular. But the interesting thing that I found is like the more that I dig in and the more that this becomes just like a way of life, I have found myself becoming, I mean, there, of course there's like bigotry and hatred and like using beliefs to oppress other people. Like, fuck that. Never, never, ever. Okay. But at the same time, a lot of people don't have that. And I've found myself becoming so much softer and more accepting of beliefs that are different than my own. Like I tell my mom all the time, like, I'm so sorry. Like she's, you know, I'm, we're Episcopal, which she always refers to as just Catholic without the Latin, but you know, she's very much like a person of faith. And I used to give her shit about her faith. And I tell her all the time, like, I am so sorry for that because that is, I mean, the more that I, the more that I get it for myself, I'm like, I can kind of, yeah, I've just become so much softer with other people. But, um, well, you and I had a funny side conversation at the register at Ritual Craft, not long before you left, I was buying hoodoo. It was one of Charles Port, uh, professor Porterfield's books. Um, Hoodle, oh, Hoodle, Bible, Bible magic. Oh my gosh. Such a good book. Number one. Yeah. But I remember you were telling me this is such a good book and how I think we had, we just had a quick conversation about how once upon a time, neither of us ever would have worked with the Psalms or worked with the Bible in a magical capacity. And yeah, it is, it's interesting how things kind of, kind of come around and was there, was there a certain moment when you realized that like, oh, maybe this is maybe, maybe I had things a little wrong, or maybe I, maybe I could think about this in a different way. Was there a moment or a series of moments? I think a series. So the, so when I first met my, my sheikh, uh, Pierre Natanel Miles Yepes, so my Sufi teacher, um, yeah. who I took initiation with, I took a class from him at Naropa University and he said a bunch of, he was just on fire for, I was a week long intensive on Sufism and just the room was vibrating. It was so intense. And one of the things he said is faith is that which I cannot prove to you, but I cannot deny to myself. Mm. And he's like, if you, can use logic don't use faith but where logic ends you jump off into faith Uh and he gave the example of love that if i say i'm i'm so in love with my partner um someone who's never experienced love could just be like 
there's all kinds of things they could be like well love is just neurotransmitters you know whatever because of evolution mm -hmm. i'm like that's not that's not my experience i can't prove it to them but i yep. can't deny it to myself and and he used the example of you can you could even even if you you know god forbid we're ever in some kind of situation but like even if you jump in front of like a bus or a bullet to save the life of your partner someone could just say well th they were just trying to to look heroic you know whatever the thing is you cannot prove it but you can't deny it to yourself and so that that was a big turning point of this this word Oh my God, there's so many things. I'm just going to be quoting my teacher a bunch because he's the one who yeah. healed this one for me. Um, and, and so, and then God is an experience and not a belief. I don't believe in God. I have an experience of God. Uh. So I would define, these are, these are my words. I would define God as the feeling of love that rides the blood. And I'm shaking my hands over here. And and so that's very different than the big angry white Republican guy in the sky <laughs> wagging his finger at everyone. <laughs> this um, is very true. And and then another another, you know, obviously taking initiation, just hearing being around people with sincerity, but also realness. Yeah. Talking about their an, a direct experience of God as opposed to you have to believe in, you know, whatever. No, uh, but if you're open to the experience and it is so interesting, especially because I mean, when you kind of step into that role of, of teacher, you know, you get to kind of interact with people that are all on different points of their own journey. And it is so fascinating to me how um, uncomfortable, so, like a lot of my newer students get around the like discussions of faith, just even mm -hmm. that word faith, faith and trust in something bigger than yourself. I have a lot of students that it takes them a long time. Like their first step is I can maybe have faith that there's a part of me that is like better than the part that's like in this meat suit, that there's maybe like a highest mm -hmm. self. And that's the, that's like the, the first step. And maybe there's this idea of like divine or the a collective consciousness. That's maybe the second step. And I have some students that they just never, you know, they don't stick with me very long. Cause I, you know, at a certain point, kind of having continuing to go up the ranks. I love our friend, uh, Dr. Dr. Martinez, Lisa Martinez. She has mm -hmm. a, a great phrase of, you know, working with trusting in something bigger than yourself, a higher power. The way she puts it is sometimes you need to speak with a manager, which I just think mm -hmm. is just hilarious. Yeah. But I could kind of go on that little trail for a while. But will you tell us what Sufism is? Because I don't really know what Sufism is. Is that I even a fair either. question? Okay, so you're like shit. Neither no, do I. I'm like okay. So it's a fair. So it's a fair question, but the the answer is so the the simple answer, and this is yes. if you just look up what is Sufism, you'll see the mystical path of Islam. Okay. Um. So I want to qualify that a little bit. So I want to give um, some some quotes from within the tradition talking about itself. Yeah. So Ibn Arabi said, basically, I will follow the caravan of love wherever it goes. 
whether if it's with the Christians, whether it's with, you know, the, I forget what all things he lists, like probably different denominations of Islam, but you could say whether it's with the Buddhists, the Hindus, the yogis, like it's sometimes defined as the religion of love. Um, not all Sufi, there is a lot of diversity, like all spiritual traditions mm -hmm. within Sufism. Um, but the lineage that I practice, the, the Sufi school of love is emphasized. And so in that sense, it is somewhat unique among mystic traditions that tend to be very transcendent, tend to be very renunciate mm -hmm. and um, see passionate desire as a huge obstacle or at yeah. least be entirely trusted. Yeah. And Sufism, on the other hand, works intentionally with this legitimately fairly volatile energy of, you know, when we fall in love, we're kind of insane. True, uh, true story. And, and that is the wine of Sufism. You see Rumi and Hafiz and all these people talking about the wine. They're all Muslims. They don't drink wine. It's totally forbidden <laughs> for them to drink wine. So what are they talking about? They're talking about divine intoxication. They're talking about an ecstatic experience of divine love that is not separate from worldly love so this is kind of the flavor of the tradition that it's a very um it's about love it's about beauty it's about uh you know our our incarnation is not because of some horrible karmic debt that we fucked up in our past life and so we got to repeat the cycle of you know death and rebirth and um it's desire. The soul had a desire. It had a longing, a passionate longing to experience something. And yeah. that draws us into the body. And then in the body, that passionate longing to experience something to its perfection or completion takes us home, takes us to our own, the completion of our divine intent. That is freaking beautiful. So how do you go from like studying, you've got your little athame, not little, sorry, that's not a patronizing, but like, you know, your, your, your druids, like your, yeah. the druid and like looking at the King Arthur and looking at the grail, like the, the grail mythology. How do you land here? Because that does seem like that there's a bit of a jump there or is mm -hmm. there, I don't know. No, there's a, there's a huge jump. So here are the two things. So one of them, is, and this one's the less important one, but basically the thing that got me to kind of take the class and be maybe a little more open to what this guy had to say is that all these books I was reading on the Holy Grail and Arthurian tradition are saying Sufism had a huge influence on these, these mythologies because they were written... <clears throat> they were written during the time that the Moors had conquered Spain. So there was a Muslim empire that had conquered Spain. And during this time, uh, Andalusian Spain became like the Alexandria of its age. Because oh. at this time, like Islam was the kind of the chill religion that they were like, you're Christian. Great. Keep being Christian. <laughs> like, it, you know, it says in their central text, like, 
you cannot force anyone to convert. You have to respect other people's beliefs. And also all the prophets are one in their essence, all of these things. So for medieval times, very much more, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, we can just compare that to what happened when the Christians reconquered Spain. The Inquisition immediately happened and yeah. there was like a legitimate genocide. Um, and so, but during the time of Andalusian Spain, you had all these poets traveling and the mixing of Sufis and um, Jewish mystics is yeah. also around the time of the, the writing of, or channeling maybe is more accurate of the, um, of the Zohar and Christian mystics, you know, her heretical Gnostic uh, Christian mystics were all sort of exchanging ideas. And then the poets were the ones that basically hid all of these heresies, high heresies, all of these heterodox teachings, all these alien teachings, including that love is important. So at this time, love had nothing to do with marriage. Um, yeah. Love was basically considered a sin to a certain extent by the church because it was a bodily desire. Um, yeah. And so then you have the story of Tristan and Isolt, someone who's willing to die rather than not be with his beloved. And this is closely parallels Persian, you know, Sufi um, text. And so basically there's all these scholars pointing out, okay, Sufism had a big influence on, um, on the Arthurian stuff. Yeah. But I could tell that they didn't really know that much about Sufism. I could tell that the people I was reading, because they just kind of say that. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm interested in just uncovering the, I'm on the grail quest, right? So mm -hmm. here is this opportunity to study with this actual Sufi. And then when I encounter the actual Sufi, and this is the real thing, is I was like, this is the live wire. Yeah. This is very strong wine. The first time I did zikr, which is um, means remembrance, it's chanting practice that is central to pretty much all of Sufism. And it's just la ilaha illallah. It's just Arabic for, this is how Sufis translate it. There is no God, period. Mm. Nevertheless, God is. Mm. And... And so just 99 repetitions of this in a class full of people doing it. I don't know, Arabic, I have no context for this. And this ecstatic feeling like comes over me. And I was like, I've been doing all of these rituals and nothing, nothing. like this, this impressive and noticeable. And the, the rituals I'm doing are way more complicated. It's not just chanting one single sentence in, in Arabic. And so that was really the thing that I was like, Oh yeah, I I gotta follow this. Yeah, that's so exciting. This is so like outside anything that I am familiar with. So this is just this is so freaking cool. I could ask a million more questions about this, like, and get you to <laughs> quote your teacher for like the rest of the evening. But you poets, poetry, and poets have come up a lot. <laughs> throughout like throughout the uh I mean that's a huge part of 
it sounds like that is a huge part of what you find in your magical tradition and that spiritual tradition. And you're, you're a poet, a damn fine poet yourself. So we gotta, we gotta close this out with talking about your book. We gotta talk a little bit about your, you know, I mean, I don't, what do you want people to know about your poetry? What do you want people to know about the creation of your book? And will you maybe even close us out by, by reading a little bit for us? Absolutely. Um, so my book, um, I'm working on a, it's not a sequel, just I'm working on another book that's going to be not limited to poetry, but poetry and essay and ritual. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be called The Grail Sutras, A Manual of Erotic Mysticism, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. So, but Schrodinger's mantra uh, was... So I guess what would I like people to know about it is it's heavily about a couple things. One of them is what I call um, esoterotica in there, which is there's a whole first chapter is called esoterotica, which is kind of sexy love poems to slash about God. (laughs) (laughs) um and that's very it's interesting because it was published after taking initiation into sufism but all the poems in there written before that i know interesting to sufism but now i would see a lot of those poems as very very specifically sufi poetry um especially the esoterotica stuff and then there's also a lot of stuff um that is about mental health recovery mm-hmm. that's in there um and so that's another central central theme um i, I think i'm the in book. the i think i'm in the esoterotica because that's the first part of your book right yeah yeah anyway sorry it, it's so good i just need to say that again like so i got a i picked up a copy at ritual craft which if you want to get a copy you can definitely get it at, at uh you can get it there but I'm trying to really hard to like read it slowly because sometimes when I I'm very linear poetry, go, a lot of poetry goes right over my head. And so I have to like take it one piece at a time and digest mm-hmm. it. I'm a I'm a marinator. Um, and so I've also found myself just kind of flipping around and it's been hard to like only it's been hard to not just like read big chunks of it to the point that it's just kind of like washing over my brain and I'm not really digesting it, but it is so good. Anyway, sorry. Just need that needed to be said. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm really proud of it. It represents years and years of work. I was in the slam poetry scene for a long time. I represented Denver at national competitions. So cool. Um, and, and I think the, the other thing is that I, my intention in writing and publishing this book was I want to save someone's life. Yeah. And I actually had just one person, but then my work is done. The book was worth it. Everything was worth it. And I actually had the honor of someone without who did not know that that was my intention reaching out to me and telling me that the book saved their life. That yeah. she, this was a person who was in a violently abusive relationship, very psychologically disintegrated, 
and for whatever reason found something in there that she used as a ladder to climb out of a really dark place and free herself. Amazing. That is amazing. So, so in that sense, I feel like the everything else is a bonus. Yeah. If I make any <laughs> money off of it, maybe one day, mm -hmm. uh, that's a bonus. But the, it, it, it has achieved its sort of talismanic purpose. All right. So this is this is a newer, newer piece. It's called LVX, The Light of the Cross. Here I am, stretched out on the gibbet of Al-Halaj, raw, open, and bloody. This is the crucifixion. I will not, cannot move my arms or legs, nailed to the cross of the elements, complete surrender, vulnerability beyond reason as the lance is driven into my heart. The blood that pours from me now will fill the grail for a thousand years if I can only surrender deeper, if I can only look into the pit of my grief without flinching. It's a curtain, a veil, and I can see love rippling the fabric behind it. Buckle by buckle, I have taken off my armor. Inch by inch, I am crossing the sword bridge, a tightrope made of razor wire over a raging river a hundred feet below. Do not look down. Look to the beloved on the other shore. By the time I make it to her, I may be stained red like birth, and it will not matter. The many gifts she longs to give me. I open my rib cage to receive them. I only want her wanting. Swim with me. Drown me in your perfume well. Praise the world to the angel. The angels only know one taste of God each. While we are here drunk on a thousand and one wines, each with a different terroir. Beg me home, pray me whole, eat my God closer to you than the pulse to its echo in the jugular vein. I can taste its echo closer. Now back to Golgotha. The cross was fashioned from the tree of knowledge. Adam was buried under the crucifixion. Eva became Ave Maria. Why have you forsaken me? God cries out to herself. I cannot move to protect my heart. I am wide open. You could kill me with a word, and yet you grant me light, God, light. Before the 13th century, Cathedrals had small windows. An architect accidentally read a pagan raving that God is light. So he invented flying buttresses, structural support standing away from the building so the ceilings could vault, the windows could dilate, and the temple of God could fill with herself. Two months ago, I had thick walls and small windows. I feel my insides rearranged, flayed alive. Baghdad burns around me as I sing the Quran. Al-Halaj, Christe Eleison, martyrs of love, buttress me as my bones crack to make way for more light. One does not reinvent the cathedral for its own sake. 
beauty is completed by its appreciation. I make room within me so that you can enter, full of awe and wonder. The light streaming in through my rose windows is for you, that you might pray at this altar and find what you've been looking for. God, make of me a cathedral that brings her pilgrimage to completion, that you find within me not only holy song, but shelter, love, rest. That was amazing, Connor. That was absolutely amazing. And I feel like that just like summed up everything, everything that you talk about, everything it seems like you are and you believe. That was fucking beautiful, my friend. Thank you. You are. No, thank you. Well, I mean, I don't feel like it's going to, that's a good, that's a high note to begin to gently close out on. So if people want to be able to keep up with you, because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of folks that want to keep up with you after listening to that. So <laughs> how do folks find you and stay in touch? So I'm at Merlins.workshop on Instagram. Um, I also do have a website that hopefully by the time this comes out will be redesigned. Um, and that is merlinswork.shop. There's yeah. no dot com or anything. <laughs> um, and that's really, yeah, those are those are the two places. Um, I also just want to plug, uh, I did just um, basically self-publish a meditation zine that is only available yeah. at Ritual Craft. It is available on the online shop and in-store. Um, it's called making if you just search connor marvin on the shop um or go in there you can find it i think it's called making friends with your mind um so all awesome. of those are, are good things well i will have all of those linked in the show notes thank you so much connor this was so fun to get to know you and yeah. get to have the conversation that you just can't quite have like in those five minute intervals <laughs> at work so yeah Likewise. Yeah. Thank you. You thank you. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this conversation and everyone go and keep up with Connor. Go go get Connor's book. I can never say I don't say the this is one of those words that like gets twisted up in my mouth, which is why I kept like avoiding. I'm like, let's talk about your book. Yeah. Can you say the name of your book one last time? Schrodinger's mantra. That one everybody go get the book <laughs> all right thank you thank you connor thank you blessings thanks for listening to a magical world let's keep in touch the best way to keep up with me is by visiting my website sterlingmoontarot.com that's where you can book appointments, sign up for my classes, and get on my email list. If you'd like to support the podcast, join the Curiosity Coven at patreon.com backslash sterlingmoon. I'm also pretty active on the socials. You can find me on Instagram, threads, and YouTube at the underscore sterling underscore moon on Facebook at sterlingmoontarot and on TikTok at mediumshipmom. 
Until next time, I wish you well in finding ways to make the world a more magical place to be.